Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we begin, a quick introduction and reflection on the podcast's recent journey. Horem Heb was dead, and with his passing, most Egyptologists mark the end of the 18th dynasty. For the History of Egypt podcast, it is time to finish one chapter and begin anew. It's been a long road covering Dynasty 18. I first embarked on that story way back in 2015. It is now 2023. I spent more time covering the 18th dynasty than some of its rulers actually reigned. For example, King Ai was only pharaoh for about four years, so I covered the 18th dynasty for twice as long as he was actually a monarch. In 2023, we are also celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the first episode. It's been a crazy journey. I've now been covering the history of Egypt for longer than King Tutankhamun was a pharaoh. Along the way, I've learned a lot. You may have noticed my storytelling has changed and evolved over the years. My opinions have differed back and forth on certain issues. I've made plenty of mistakes, and I try to go back and correct them, or at least update them, wherever possible. If you've been along for the entire ride, I have to applaud your stamina. It's quite remarkable. If you're just joining us, or you're a recent fan, welcome to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. As we embark on the 19th dynasty, you might be tempted to think that the best is over, that from here on out, it's a decline. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, we are entering some of the most richly recorded and fascinating periods in all of Egyptian history. The story is going to go in strange and wonderful directions, and there are heaps of beautifully detailed records that I can dive into. In recent episodes, particularly towards the end of the 18th dynasty, I suggested that I might speed up the narrative as I embarked on the later New Kingdom. Honestly, That was born of tiredness and a little bit of anxiety. Occasionally I get comments from people who want me to hurry up and get to the next particular pharaoh or period. That sometimes strikes a chord. I do my best to keep the narrative moving at a nice clip, while also indulging in those wonderful details that really bring the ancient world to life. In my more anxious moments, I do sometimes feel like I should move faster, head towards the end, quote-unquote. But in more serene or reflective moments, I remember. The pace may be slow, but it's worth it. Exploring these tiny references, these little nooks and crannies of history, really rewards careful research and exploration. So, despite recent statements, I'm not going to speed up the narrative as we move into the 19th dynasty. It might be a little bit faster than before, but I'm going to carry on diving into the weird, wonderful, and the obscure. So, we are celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the podcast, and we are embarking on a new chapter in the historical narrative. This is an exciting moment. I look forward to exploring it. Now then, enough introduction and nostalgia recollection. Let's discuss the advent of a new dynasty. 
Horemheb was gone, and a new king would inherit power. In hindsight, from the modern perspective, this seems like a turning point. A moment when one political lineage ends and a new one begins. What does it actually mean, though? When Hormheb passed away, there was a seamless continuity between his reign and the next. There was no major shake-up, as far as the evidence reveals. Everything carried on over. It's almost like the transition between New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Intellectually and chronologically, you know that there has been a change. The unit of measurement has shifted from one state to the next. But when you wake up on the morning of the 1st of January, the world is essentially the same. This, basically, is what would have happened when the dynasties changed. One day, people went to bed with Horemheb as king. The next day, they woke up with a new king. They were aware that this marked a shift, but day to day, nothing really changed. From the historical point of view, we do mark certain differences between the 18th dynasty and the 19th. We will explore these in detail as our story progresses, but a few basic points are worth summarising. The 18th dynasty was marked first and foremost by military expansion. Rulers of the early 18th dynasty, particularly Armosa, Tutmose I and Tutmose III, pushed Egyptian armies further and further into foreign lands. They attacked their neighbours and their enemies. They destroyed cities. They captured populations and enslaved them. They seriously changed the political landscape of the region. As a result, the 18th dynasty is often called the Imperial Era. This is when the Egyptian government built something like an empire in Sudan and the Near East. Academics will dispute the finer details of that, what constitutes an empire exactly, and did the pharaohs have one, but the basic gist is clear. The Middle Kingdom and Old Kingdom had their fair share of military activity, but the 18th dynasty is a whole different ballgame. The pharaohs are interacting with the wider world more aggressively and more frequently than any of their predecessors. For the 19th dynasty, the military and imperial situation changes somewhat. The pharaohs of this period do not create an empire, they inherit it. They are forced to defend what previous generations have claimed. Occasionally, they will push forward in new directions, and they will attempt to expand the borders wherever possible. But the military and political situation is fundamentally different in the 19th dynasty. For one thing, there are now additional great powers on the world stage. Kingdoms like Hatti, or the Hittites, are becoming stronger and stronger. And the pharaohs of Dynasty 19 will have to deal with that challenge. The military dynamic will be quite different from the earlier generations. So that's the military and foreign policy situation. What about the religious one? Once again, the 18th dynasty sees a massive expansion in what we know about ancient Egyptian religion. Throughout the land, temples begin to rise in new forms and architecture. During the Old Kingdom and the Middle Kingdom, most religious sanctuaries were built in mud brick. Those did not endure nearly as well, so archaeologists and historians simply don't have much information 
about those temples from those periods. With the 18th dynasty, though, things change. We start to get enormous structures built entirely out of stone. Temples like Karnak expand rapidly over the generations, as each pharaoh adds new halls, courts, and buildings to the overall complex. This phenomenon is visible throughout Egypt. All across the country, older sanctuaries, built of mud brick, are torn down and replaced with new stone structures. So from the point of view of architecture and religious economics, we see a massive expansion in the 18th dynasty. That's not to say these pharaohs were more pious than their predecessors, but simply the forms in which they express that piety have changed quite significantly. They are investing huge wealth into these structures, paying for expensive stone quarrying, and they are building on larger and larger scales. Again, this represents a fundamental shift compared to what we know of the Middle and Old Kingdoms before. As a result, the 19th dynasty rulers basically inherit that process. They will continue to develop it, and they will innovate in some remarkable ways. As we will see very soon, kings like Seti I and Ramesses II achieve great things in temple building and construction. Seti I particularly is noteworthy for the quality of his buildings, the exceptional artwork and detailed carving that his artisans produced. Then Ramesses II begins to innovate with new forms and goes on a massive building spree, the likes of which had never been seen. So the 19th dynasty pharaohs inherit what the 18th dynasty had begun. They innovate on that basic premise, but just like the military and foreign situation, they are developing on what has come just before. That's the physical expression of religion. What about the philosophical? This one can be hard to pinpoint because we have more information, more texts, from the 18th dynasty than any earlier period. So it's possible that our picture has been skewed somewhat by a greater abundance of evidence. That being said, the 18th dynasty does show some particularly noteworthy traits. During this period, people commenting on religion, discussing the gods and praising them, show a growing inclination towards the concept of a universal deity. Through the 18th dynasty, various people writing texts and praises of the god begin to emphasize the idea that the sun god, Ra, is one who is universal, whose power stretches across all the earth. Ra takes many forms or manifestations, and he can combine his powers with local deities like Amun or Atum, but overall, there is a visible trend towards perceiving the sun god Ra as a universal creator. This idea did not start in the 18th dynasty, but it accelerates and becomes a lot more visible. And the idea reaches its climax with the reign of Akhenaten. Akhenaten takes ideas that were already percolating in Egyptian society, and he runs with them. He ramps them up to a whole new level, and he expresses them in new artistic and language forms. What Akhenaten did was in some ways quite innovative and unique, but in other ways quite traditional and conservative. I explored all of this through the Akhenaten episodes, 
But long story short, the 18th dynasty shows a great deal of change with regard to religious philosophy, and eventually that culminates in the heresy, quote-unquote, of Akhenaten. The 19th dynasty does not throw all of those ideas away. Despite their reputation as destroying the Amarna period and desecrating Akhenaten, the rulers of Dynasty 19 do inherit many of those ideas. The concept of a universal god in the form of Ra does not go away, it persists, and it finds new expressions. The pharaohs create new ways of interacting with the sun god and combining his power with theirs. So, religiously, the 18th dynasty sees a great deal of change, and that is inherited, adapted, and continued by the 19th. So in terms of military expansionism and religious ideas, the 18th dynasty was an incredibly dynamic and active period. These trends will continue into the 19th dynasty. What about the cultural elements, specifically art and language? How do those change in this period? Like the political and religious elements, the rulers of Dynasty 19 inherit many of their predecessors' concepts, especially around visual imagery and language expression. Again, we will explore all of this in detail as it becomes relevant, but statues, paintings, wall carvings, and even architecture will show new trends and new patterns in the 19th Dynasty. Some of these changes have their roots in the Amarna period, and as we will see, the kings of Dynasty 19 inherit many of those ideas. They change some things, they reject some others, but quite a few concepts which were introduced by Amunhotep III or Akhenaten, they carry on in the new political lineage. The same is true for language. I don't dive into the language too much on the podcast because it gets extremely detailed very quickly. But at a basic level, the later 18th dynasty, around the time of Akhenaten, starts to see changes in the way that texts and hieroglyphs are written. They're not big changes, at least not visually. They're more like changes in the grammar and spelling of certain words. Egyptologists call this new phase of the language Late Egyptian. It is different from Middle Egyptian, the sort of classical language that came before, and Old Egyptian, which was around at the time of the pyramids. Late Egyptian starts to appear during the later 18th dynasty, and it becomes more and more common during the 19th dynasty. Again, the differences between Late Egyptian and Middle Egyptian are extremely detailed and academic. Since I am not a linguist scholar myself, it's slightly beyond my capacity to explore those in greater detail. But if people are interested, I may reach out to some Egyptologists who specialise in the language, and ask them to explain in greater detail how the language evolves during this period, and why exactly that is significant. If you would like me to do that, to interview scholars about the language changes, let me know by email or commenting on this episode. It might be a cool thing to explore. So the 19th dynasty inherits certain cultural features, both language and artistic, from the 18th dynasty before it. They're going to innovate in their own ways, but as the story of this dynasty begins, 
They are very much working in the same tradition as kings like Horemheb, Tutankhamun, Akhenaten, and Amunhotep III. Despite their popular reputation as rejecting all of that and destroying the Amarna period, the early 19th dynasty has a lot more continuity than you would expect. With these continuities, you may be wondering, why exactly do we end the 18th dynasty with the death of Horemheb and start a new one? What do these divisions actually mark for historians and academics? The significance of the dynasties can vary quite significantly depending on which scholar you speak to. For some researchers, the dynasties are really valuable tools for breaking up certain periods and putting things into a larger box. For others, the dynasties are basically just labels. There are leftover from earlier generations, which don't really reflect the finer details of academic research. Both perspectives have their merits, and I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. For a podcast, the dynasties are quite useful, just as a way of keeping everything organised. But the reality is, the ancient Egyptians lived their life one day at a time. They did not necessarily organise their history in the same terms. So dynasties are slightly arbitrary. There are reasons why we use them, why we divide history in this way, but they don't really reflect the ancient reality that much. So, cutting to the chase, why does the 18th dynasty end with Horemheb? At the most basic level, the division between dynasty 18 and dynasty 19 is one of political and family lineage. From the point of view of bloodlines, genetics, Horemheb does not really belong to either dynasty. As far as we can tell, he had no connection with the 18th dynasty royal family. This is quite different from kings like Tutankhamun, and possibly King Ai. There is some speculation that King Ai was related to the royal family through marriage, or maybe one of his children had become a queen. That's a whole other topic, but you get the point. With Horemheb, we know reasonably definitively that he was not connected to the 18th dynasty family. Politically, that's another story, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But in terms of pure genetics, Horemheb has no discernible connection with the old royal household. Then again, he doesn't have a connection to the new royal household either. The person that inherited Horemheb's power was not Horemheb's son. He chose one of his officials, a man named Paramesu, or Ramesses, to become his heir. So if you're looking at this from a purely bloodlines perspective, Horemheb does not fit into either lineage. That might be a relatively simple division. We simply take Horemheb out of the two dynasties and put him in between, his own mini-intermediate period, if you will. Politically, though, things are more complicated. Before he became the pharaoh, Horemheb had been a government official, a high-ranking administrator, in the regime of King Tutankhamun. Horemheb was intimately connected with the royal household in a political and economic sense. So when he became the pharaoh, he inherited a system in which he had already participated. From a political point of view, Horemheb absolutely belongs to the 18th dynasty. Then again, Horemheb also belongs to the 19th, 
it was Horemheb who chose Paramesu, Ramesses, to be the next king of Egypt. In effect, he gave that man and his family their start on the throne. If Horemheb had not done that, it's possible the 19th dynasty would have looked very different. So in terms of bloodlines, Horemheb does not belong to either dynasty. In terms of politics, he belongs to both. Again, we should bear in mind, this is mostly a modern obsession and preconception. The ancient Egyptians were not describing things in these terms. For them, the line of kings was an unbroken succession, stretching back into the distant past. Horemheb may have been aware that things were changing in his reign, that a new family was becoming prominent, but he wasn't necessarily thinking in terms of political dynasties and all of that. Dynasties are a useful and fun way to view the past, but they have as much connection to the ancient reality as modern attempts to reconstruct the Targaryen bloodline do for us. So, bearing that in mind, does Horemheb belong to the 18th dynasty or the 19th? When does the break occur? If you tied me up in a basement and really forced me to define the moment when Dynasty 18 ended and Dynasty 19 began, I think I would choose the moment when Horemheb appointed a man named Paramesu as his successor. Horemheb chose Paramesu, later known as Ramesses I, to be his heir. I consider this the true beginning of Dynasty 19. I'll explain why. Up until the moment when Horemheb appointed Paramesu as his heir, there was still a possibility that he would produce a child of his own, a successor to carry on his bloodline. But the moment he appoints Paramesu to be his chosen successor, that is an acknowledgement that his bloodline is about to end, that the royal household he has inherited has come to a conclusion. At the same time, Horemheb's decision to appoint Paramesu as his successor stops any possibility of a civil war or a new lineage taking power. So although Horemheb does not give birth to his particular heir, he does choose the figure who will fulfill that role. In other words, Horemheb did not have a bodily son, but he chose his own political one. Had Horemheb not done this, had he died without heir, there is every chance that a different family might have taken power. Either through civil war or simply political disputes, a new lineage might have started, one completely divorced from Horemheb's legacy. So, I guess if I had to decide, I would say that the 19th dynasty really begins about halfway through Horemheb's reign. Whatever moment it was that he realised, I'm not having children, and decided to appoint one of his officials as the heir. That, to me, seems like the best moment to mark one lineage ending and a new one beginning. So, in my heart of hearts, I feel like Horemheb belongs to both the 18th and the 19th dynasties. He is the end of one and the beginning of another. He is the Omega and the Alpha. He is Sunny and Cher. He is John and Paul. He is Michael and Janet. What a strange analogy. 
I hope you've enjoyed this little casual discussion, a brief retrospective on Dynasty 18, and a little bit of setup for what is going to happen moving forward. Now then, let's begin the story of Horemheb's heir. Not his son, but the man he chose to succeed. It is time for Ramesses I. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. Once again, I must ask a small favour. If you are willing, please consider completing the listener survey that is available in the podcast description. This will help me to improve advertising on the show to ensure that it is relevant and appropriate to everyone's interests. Follow the link in the description or visit www.surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave. If we get enough responses, I will release bonus episodes of the show dealing with hidden tombs from ancient Egypt. Once again, visit www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave, or follow the link in the episode description. If you have already completed the listener survey, my thanks to you. For those who have not, please consider helping me out. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.